Welcome to the Mind and Body Strong podcast, a place for women to redefine their relationship with food and their body, tune into their inner wisdom, and become the best version of themselves. My name is Katie Pijanowski, and I'm an anti-diet and body image coach, certified personal trainer, and lover of all things travel, brunch, and personal growth. Join us each week as we share insightful conversations with guest experts, along with my own personal stories and teachings that aim to help you reconnect your mind, body, and spirit while releasing old beliefs, dogma, and expectations that no longer serve you. Each episode is packed with nuggets of wisdom that are sure to leave you feeling inspired, challenged, and empowered to take action in your own life. Shy away from tough topics? No way. In this space, we welcome things including mental health, sex, diversity, eating disorders, weight stigma, and all that comes with having a human experience. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me, so grab a notebook, pen, and some headphones, and let's dive in. Welcome, everyone, back to the Mind and Body Strong podcast. I have a special guest with me today, and her name is Kat Fox, and she's a certified master-level coach, specialing in body image, and she helps women release guilt and shame tied to their bodies so that they can own their greatness and live their biggest life ever. She also shares that body shame is unfortunately so normalized in our society, which I talk about so much on the podcast. So I'm really excited to have this more expanded conversation on body image here with Kat today, because that body shame is so normalized, unfortunately, in our society. And Kat also believes that it's important to bring to light the body shame is actually disconnection from our joy and intuition. And when we can begin to heal these fragmented parts of ourselves, we are able to access our greatness so that we can live at our soul purpose. Love all of this already. So hi, Kat. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me here. So excited to have you. And as we do with all of our, my podcast episodes, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the relevant stories, the pieces of your story that got you into doing the body image work, because there's so many different entry points that we get to like this place of being able to help women with body shame and I'm definitely interested in hearing your point of view. And then I know you're, you specifically want to kind of touch in on like motherhood wounds, which I know Mm -hmm. for all my mothers listening to the podcast, I know there are some out there. I think this is going to be a really great episode for you. So definitely stay tuned, but let's hop in and share a little bit about you. Who is Kat Fox? How did you get to do doing (laughs) this uh, work that you're doing? Oh my gosh. It was really just a lifelong journey. If we're being honest, and I think this was always where I was going to land. I just didn't necessarily know that through, through that experience. Right. So I think a lot of us can probably relate to this concept that body image is a struggle almost from the beginning. I mean, my earliest memories of deciding that a woman's job in this society is to be small, complacent, and quiet, both physically and energetically. I was five when I made that decision. And I didn't have the language at the time to be able to describe it that way, but I, I was going to all of the Weight Watchers meetings with the women in my life. And I was witnessing them focus on their bodies and portion out their foods and cry every time they stepped on the scale or looked in the mirror. And so it became very apparent to me that like my job as a female is, is to make sure that I'm not eating too much. And that I meet a certain standard from what my body should look like. And that was really the thing that set the tone 
for the rest of my experience. And then as I got older, you know, my, my grandma would always tell me, don't speak your opinions. You're being too loud. Make sure you're quiet. Make sure you're small, right? It just kept coming back to this concept that you have to be small. And I'm not good at being small. <laughs> I am much better at like taking up space and being my full authentic self. But myself, like many others in this world, are conditioned to fragment ourselves to these tiny little things that we don't even recognize anymore. Mm-hmm. So I I mention all of this because I think it's a crucial part of my experience with food and body, because what happened is I would say my disordered eating probably started about 10, 11 is when I intentionally started restricting, but I was also a very picky eater. So what was restricting for me was being picky to others Mm. and it turned into a full-fledged eating disorder probably by the time I was 13 or 14 and didn't actually start healing from that until I became a mom. Mm -hmm. So even during pregnancy, it was still very, very challenging for me because I, I went from, you know, being able to refrain from eating certain things to craving those exact things that I was always trying to refrain from. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quite know how to handle that. I think it was that personal experience going, oh, geez, probably two decades with an eating disorder and looking in the mirror every day, just wishing that I could change things. So even at my smallest, I still wasn't happy. And I think that's probably true for the majority of us, which is why I'm so passionate about the spiritual aspect of it and really beginning to see our bodies as more than just an object Mm -hmm. because we're objectified inside and out from the time that we can walk and talk. Mm -hmm. So how can we start to return back to our own humanity? Mm -hmm. Um, My turning point. So fast forwarding and we can go back. So whatever questions you might have, just let me know where we need clarity, but fast forwarding to Oh, geez. My son was five. So I don't even know what age that puts me at 23, maybe because I was a teen mom. And so body image was (laughs) really hard. It was really hard. I got pregnant at 18, had him at 19. And then when he was five, he came to me while I was getting ready in the morning and asked me if he was getting too fat. Mm. And my heart just shattered because I didn't realize just how bad things were for me until that moment of recognition of, oh my God, he's experiencing the same things I experienced as a child. And I need to redefine completely what the legacy is that I want to leave for him and any other children in my life. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started doing the work. And a year later, I, you know, thought that I had healed because because I was doing all of these things. I was going to the gym. I was trying to build more confidence. I, I was eating better. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to teach other people how to do the same thing that I just did. And I'm going to go be a health coach. Mm -hmm. So I got my certifications and through the process, I learned that I wasn't actually healed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And even now, I wouldn't say that I'm like healed and all better. 
because as we all know, this is like a lifelong journey. This is not one of those things where you arrive one day and all of a sudden everything is better. Mm-hmm. There are still things that I have to work through. And ex- an example would be most recently, I had lunch for the first time by myself in over a year mm-hmm. because we've been quarantined. I've been homeschooling. I was eating every day with my child. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was thrown into this world where I'm now eating lunch alone. And I, I hadn't eaten lunch alone, maybe possibly ever since my recovery, mm-hmm. because I used to have meals with my partner every day mm-hmm. because he wanted to make sure that I was actually eating something. Mm-hmm. And so it became this recognition of, is there a codependency issue or is this a uh, new thing that I'm just not comfortable with doing yet. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we really get to ex- start to explore more and more of where we are now versus where we were. But we also have to really give thanks to every experience that we had previously, which is something that I tie into the work that I do. And the entire reason I do this work in the first place is because I want every woman to know that she is a magical, powerful life force. Mm-hmm. that gets to take up space. Mm-hmm. We all are innately worthy and we get to have access to that inner magic. We get to have access to our intuitions that we can create the life that we want. We are the authors of our own stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line of it. And so this is more than just looking in the mirror and saying, okay, I accept you body. It's also looking inward and saying, I am a really powerful divine individual and I am going to do something with this Mm -hmm. and that could be big scale it could be small scale it could simply just be creating the life that you thought you could never have whatever that may be Mm -hmm. and the passion comes from the fact that no woman deserves to look in the mirror and hate herself Mm -hmm. at all and I wouldn't want that for my child either yeah Yeah. I love this. There's so many pieces that I want to go back to and circle back to the first one being that, you know, that recognition of that body shame at, from the time you were five and showing Mm -hmm. up at the Weight Watcher meetings. And that's actually very much my story as well, because I grew up in Weight Watcher rooms myself, watching Mm -hmm. women that I loved, um, go through these programs and always be dissatisfied. And looking Mm -hmm. back for me, I don't have barely any pictures of like me and my mom. It's, it's like me and my brother, like me and my dad or me and my cousins, me and my friends, my mom was not, she did not want to be in pictures. And you could tell by Mm -hmm. some of the pictures that were, were during those times that she like did not want to be seen. And Mm -hmm. I remember like, you know, like you had, like you had mentioned yourself, like you don't really know at that age, how to voice that or really understand it. But it's like definitely a feeling of like, something's off here. And I'm not really sure what this is, but we take on those roles and those responsibilities. It's like the women we love are doing this. This must be what it means to be a woman. It must mean Mm -hmm. I have to be small and I have to be quiet, right? You had mentioned that, but your intuitive, authentic self love to take up space and be loud and be heard. Right. And so it's like this, this coming back to, and it it sounds like the catalyst was you becoming pregnant with your son was kind of this like catalyst to a lot of the things that you got to experience of working through an eating disorder and working through like accepting this authentic piece of yourself. And I kind of want to go back to that as a first starting place, like that, that point where 
you're, you're pregnant and that you're still experiencing those things. Cause I actually experience a lot of women in the fitness space and just in my life who are pregnant, their bodies are changing and there's still like these really harmful narratives. It's like, you are growing a human life and you're still so focused on weight gain and stretch marks and beauty and this, that, and the other, and, and what they can do in the gym, you know, to lose it right away, you know, like right after a pregnancy. And it's like, we haven't taken the time to actually celebrate what our bodies have done and what they're doing. So I'd love to kind of go back to that place and see like what was going on for you and maybe like segue from in, into that, I guess. Yeah. So at the time I always, I always said Aiden saved my life. I mean, he absolutely did because I got pregnant in the midst of addiction mm-hmm. and I was, like I said, I was 18. I had graduated high school a semester early, which was an accomplishment in and of itself. And I did that, I think more out of spite than anything else. Cause I really wanted to prove everybody wrong. I wanted to prove that I could do something good. And that was the good thing that I could do was I could graduate early And I did that. I graduated with a great GPA. I think it was like 3.9. So almost, almost a 4.0. And that was because I was very determined and very headstrong. I always have been. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that is it can be used in really, really good ways, but it can also be used in really, really harmful ways. And with with Aiden, I got pregnant while on birth control, mm-hmm. which is totally not what anybody expects. Mm-hmm. So I was taking all the right precautions. I was doing all the right things. Well, maybe aside from abstaining, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what teenager wants to do that? And so when I found that I was pregnant, it was, you know, there was a lot of fear, fear over like, can I actually do this? fear over whether or not this would stick because two years prior I had had a miscarriage, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons I was on birth control in the first place. And then there was also a lot of fear over what that meant about my body. Would I ever be desirable again? A lot of it was desire-based because I, you know, at, at my smallest, I was receiving accolades from all of the girls around me. Like, oh, you're so thin. How do you maintain that? How do you do that? All while at the same time, I had a health teacher and I'm not going to say how much I weighed at the time because it's not even, it doesn't even matter, but I was, I've always been a very small human Mm -hmm. and I, I was actually technically underweight at the time, but we were like learning about BMI in health class and we all had to take like a quote unquote physical in class. And when I stepped on the scale, she told me that I could stand to lose a little bit more weight. No. Yeah. So that, that kind of like really fed into things. And when I found out I was pregnant, that was one of the first memories that popped in my head is, oh my God, this means that like, I'm, I'm going to have to try even harder now. Mm -hmm. Cause that voice was still there. Like, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. This isn't enough. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the feeling like if, if boys don't love my body, then whoever will. Mm-hmm. And if I'm pregnant, that's going to ruin it all. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was very, you know, I was sexualizing myself. I was objectifying myself and I'm 18 years old 
and don't even want the attention of boys in the first place, because at that point I was still struggling with this concept of figuring out my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And since then, I I have come out as queer. I'm kind of just attracted to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all that matters to me. I have had relationships with both boys, girls, somewhere in between, non-binary, I'm open to. And at the time, I was still really figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And what it came down to is it didn't matter because if I'm pregnant, that means I never get to be a sexual human again. Mm. And I'm never going to be desired and I'm never going to be loved. So through the whole first trimester, I'm like working through all of this stuff internally. And then, and then I started gaining weight Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that was a whole nother thing. As one does in a pregnancy, right? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's going to happen, but nobody tells you how to prepare for that. Yeah. So it becomes one of those things where I knew logically that I probably wasn't gaining enough, first of all. And I knew logically that I also probably needed to eat more because I had a very hard time keeping anything down. Mm-hmm. I I really didn't have support. I didn't have anybody to tell me that it was okay. And I was sick the whole time. It was one of the worst experiences of my life, but also the best. Mm-hmm. by the time, by the time I hit my third trimester, I had really only gone up two pant sizes. Mm-hmm. I was still really small and he, he was born really small too, just cause I don't think there was enough room for him to grow. Mm-hmm. But at the time it was like, okay, so it's a good thing that I'm staying small and it's a good thing that he's small But yet at the same time, I'm wrong and doing something wrong because I'm not growing the way I should be. So there was a lot of conflicting messages happening in my head with nobody to sort it out. Mm -hmm. By the time I actually had him, he was an emergency C-section. And, you know, I don't know what I would have preferred. I don't know if I would have preferred a natural like vaginal birth. Mm -hmm. or if I would have preferred the C-section because we're told through the media that a natural birth is going to ruin your body inside and out. Mm -hmm. But then you're also demonized for having a C-section and you didn't actually have a birth. If you had a Mm C-section, both are traumatizing. Yeah. And I, you know, the thing about a C-section is the skin lays differently afterward. Mm -hmm. That was one of the biggest things that I had to deal with mm-hmm. because my stomach never looked the same again. Yeah. And, and it sits on my jeans a little bit different now. And, and I went from loving the more low-waisted jeans to absolutely despising them mm-hmm. and only wearing high-waisted jeans because it is so uncomfortable to have your belly sitting over your, your little button on the top of your jeans, especially after a C-section. And there's, there's this thing called phantom pain that happens after you heal from a major surgery. And even after almost eight years, that still happens and low-waisted genes can trigger that. Wow. So there was a lot of like internal healing that I had to do just in regards to that particular thing with like the healing of the scar and how that's going to change things and how that looks. 
and also like hating the fact that my body couldn't do what it's naturally supposed to do but then being thankful because maybe that meant that I was still good Mm -hmm. there was so many complex emotions and thoughts and beliefs having but the thing that sticks out to me the most is after when you have a c-section you have to stay in the hospital longer than somebody who gives birth naturally And after three days, the nurses finally came in and said, you know, it's time to get out of bed, take a shower. You're leaving tomorrow. We need to like get you acclimated into doing things. Mm -hmm. My bathroom mirror in the hospital had a full wall of mirrors. Mm -hmm. Why the hell they would do that to a pregnant woman? I don't know. Or somebody (laughs) not a good idea. But I, you know, I, when they open the door, I see this wall full of mirrors and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I see out of my peripherals my body, this body that I don't recognize anymore, Mm -hmm. this body that I should be so thankful for being able to grow human life successfully and and brings and bring a real human into this world. I should be so grateful for everything that my body was able to accomplish. I was producing enough milk to be able to feed my child in the way that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I I had such a magical vessel that I was living in and all I could do was hate my body for it. Mm-hmm. I was so angry. So out of my peripherals, I see this image of something that I have no idea is standing in front of me. And I just completely shattered and broke down. Mm-hmm. I mean, right there with the nurses around me, my family, I mean, I was in tears and I just could not for the life of me collect myself. And that was one of those moments where I really had to make a decision Am I going to let this impact me or am I going to just move forward? Mm-hmm. And in the end, I really chose neither. <laughs> mm-hmm. I chose neither because I stopped looking in the mirrors. I don't think I looked in the mirror again until he was probably about a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. I didn't show up for any of the pictures. Right. I dressed in clothes that hid my body. Mm-hmm. I would not allow myself to eat anything that was deemed bad, wrong, dirty, unclean. Mm -hmm. I was only allowed fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, and that was about it. Mm -hmm. So I went straight back into my old habits and throughout time, it just gradually got worse and worse and worse. And I realized when he was probably about three years old, that this was just not working, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't ready to do anything about it yet. Mm -hmm. I was probably at the worst I had ever been in my eating disorder to the point where I I had to get medical help. Um, And it doesn't get that bad for everybody. And I also too really want to acknowledge that I have a body that happens to change from disordered eating Mm -hmm. and not everybody does. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate enough to have somebody look at me and say, something is wrong here. You need help. Mm but I have had friends who have struggled in very similar ways. They live in bigger bodies and they don't get that same level of acknowledgement because they're told they're doing the right thing and they need to keep doing it when really their body is struggling. Mm -hmm. So I, I just really want to highlight that because I did have the privilege of my body changing and somebody saying, this is bad. This is wrong. You need to, you, you need to heal. Mm -hmm. And it it was kind of at that point where I really had to take an inventory of what I was experiencing because after three years postpartum, 
I didn't have my period, which is a little abnormal. (laughs) When you're breastfeeding, it's going to be naturally delayed. So if you are a nursing mama, it's going to take some time. Your period might not come back for a year or two. I wasn't nursing at three years old. Mm -hmm. My period should have been back. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of one of those things where like, I would have my period and then I would go six months without, Mm -hmm. and then I would have my period, but it was spotty. It wasn't, you know, normal. What I would, what I would say is normal for me, at least something was clearly off. I didn't have energy. I refused to take photos with my son. I was skipping meals. I was exercising three hours a day and I was just a complete mess. I was losing my hair. I wasn't happy Mm -hmm. and I wasn't healthy in any sense of the term. And so the experience was almost like a lot of it was mental. A lot of it was mental. A lot of it was carried over from my childhood. A lot of it was carried over from this teacher that told me that, you know, being underweight was still not good enough and you needed to lose more weight. A lot of it came from the, this feeding of what a mom is supposed to be in this concept that we're like rubber bands and you can snap us back. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen. It came from the narrative that when you have a baby, you have to pursue getting your body back when your body never fucking left you in the first place. Yeah. Sorry if I'm not allowed to swear. Go, go for it, girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes I forget to filter myself and it just like slips. No, I feel like when we need, when we're talking about this stuff, like mm-hmm. in, and if we could just take a short pause just here before we get to that other side of your story, because as you were describing that moment of having your son and having that C-section and walking into the bathroom with all the mirrors and telling yourself, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look. And you see this body that doesn't seem like it's yours anymore. And that was like the shattering point. I like put myself in that, in your shoes, in that moment. And just like, it just was felt really over, overwhelming all these expectations. And, and just like, mm-hmm. like you had mentioned before, it's like mothers are, basically demonized for having natural births and demonized for having like C-section births. And then you're like immediately put into these new expectations of now you have to be a caring mother, a great like Mm -hmm. wife or partner and get your body back like immediately because that whole piece like that you had kind of highlighted there was like that desirability piece around Mm -hmm. bodies for women, especially. And that's something that I grew up a lot with and something I didn't dissect until I started actually doing a lot of this uncovering and of this Mm -hmm. work and like working through those stories. I remember specifically saying like that wearing crop tops was like offensive because I was going to show my stomach. And when we really dug into that, it was more of that desirability. I felt that being in what I thought was a larger body would make me undesirable to partners. And like that, Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to be feminine and I wasn't going to be respected. You know, there were so many things I had tied into that and it was all tied around that objectified view of my body. And it's so heightened from what you were saying, like for mothers, like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, like you are now entering this new chapter of your life. You've just created this life. And now here's all this platter of expectations you now have to take on. Yes. Yes. And it's really one of those things where you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And that actually never goes away. Mm -hmm. I have had to learn how to build a resilience to that because even, even now, you know, I, I am a young mom. I mean, I am 20, I'm 27 
once you have a kid, you kind of just forget to count your own years. <laughs> you just count <laughs> your kids' years. <laughs> Maybe that's not everybody. That certainly is my experience, though. Mm-hmm. I am now 27 and I'm still young. I have gotten to a place where if it's hot outside, I don't want to wear jeans and a long t-shirt because I live in the Midwest where not only is it hot, it's humid. Oh it's yes. Sticky. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. So I understand yeah. that at like a core level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I want, I want to be able to take my kids to the park in a pair of shorts and a crop top because that cools me down and I can be more active if I'm cooled down. Right. Yeah. But you go to the park as a mom with a crop top and all of a sudden you are deemed the slutty mom and the irresponsible mom. Mm-hmm. And that is really something I have had to work hard on overcoming. And I think it's also, you know, if we go back a little ways when I was cleared to become sexually active again, mm-hmm. after having a baby, I, I almost completely shut my sexual drive down and decided that because I'm a mom, Hey, I don't get to have that anymore. Right. I don't get to be a sexual human, even though that is like an, you know, an, a natural thing that humans do. Absolutely. Like we are supposed to, <laughs> yeah. but B I'm not actually worthy of receiving that kind of pleasure in this body. And it took me a really long time to even be comfortable with having a lamp on during intimacy. Yeah. And that was, I think one of the hardest things that I've had to overcome because my relationship with my sexuality was never fully nurtured and, and a lot of it was suppressed and a lot of it was also guilt ridden Mm -hmm. because I had, I had a grandma who really tried hard to indoctrinate me into her religion and what she believed was right and true. And, and then on the other hand, I've got this, this wisdom inside of me that's telling me that something's just not quite right with this church. Mm -hmm. Right. And it wasn't just that church. I tried all of the churches. I've been to a Catholic church. I've been to a Baptist church. I've been to Methodist. I've been to Lutheran. I've been to non-denominational None of them felt right. Still Mm -hmm. something inside of me was screaming that this is wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's because of that upbringing that I felt deep, 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 deep shame and guilt for even wanting to feel desirable, Mm -hmm. let alone engage in that sense of pleasure because that should only be reserved for making babies. And that's it. Yeah. I want to pause there too, because that, that piece where body image becomes so tied to sexuality is something I didn't recognize either when I was entering into healing my body image and realizing that I also had suppressed so much of my just sexual being, my sensualness of just who I was. And very much similarly to you, it was like this a lot of the like religious upbringing and just like the Mm -hmm. stories that I used to hear from my mom. And I, my mom completely shut down in all regards to like any kind of intimacy. I never really experienced my parents Mm -hmm. being intimate, like not even holding hands or like being respectful to each other, you know? And I remember like specifically her telling me like, oh, you shouldn't want to have sex. It's not great. Like, so I also experienced that guilt and shame for 
being in, you know, this developing body and wanting to be desirable, mm-hmm. wanting to experience that pleasure, being curious about what that might be and mm-hmm. really feeling guilty about that. And like, oh my gosh, this means I'm bad. And even when I was in a relationship where that became a part of my life, there was so much shame and so much me pushing back on like not wanting to actually experience that. And it was more so like performative for that partner rather than for me. And it's taken me a long time to like reclaim that sexuality piece for myself and like be able to be comfortable with that and to actually like enjoy that part of myself. And so I just wanted to highlight that because I'm I'm sure so many listeners are feeling that too and feeling suppressed in their sexuality because of maybe the way they feel about their body or maybe because of the religion they were brought up in. And that's where body image, I think too, where you started to bring in that religion piece, we really see how, how it's so webbed together from all these different things that we come in contact with in our environment. Like it's just, it's from our parents, it's from religion, it's from Mm -hmm. um, sexuality, our, you know, how we're we're socialized in a, in a gender. Um, all of these things are kind of like meshing together to see how we experience our bodies and how, what we get to experience because of those bodies. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's exactly it. And I think, you know, when, when it comes to the sexuality piece specifically, which I never thought as a coach was something that I was going to work with other people on. And I think it's because, you know, as we heal ourselves, we naturally just intertwine that into what we do, (laughs) but it came up recently specifically in another podcast that I was on and we were talking about sexuality and I realized in that moment that this is something we all just kind of try to hide away and ignore. But the bottom line is in my own healing to my body, I had to reclaim my sexuality and get to know that piece of myself because that was a form of embodiment for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for so many others. The purpose, you know, the purpose of being intimate with somebody in, in a sensual way specifically and, and even with yourself is is not just about pleasure which which is a big deal and i think it's very important and absolutely key to experiencing the fullness of our lives mm-hmm. but it's also about being in our bodies in that moment yeah and really being connected to our bodies in that moment and think you know i learned how to do that through movement i learned how to do that through breath work i learned how to do that just by sitting in stillness and absorbing my surroundings and recognizing my thoughts and feelings and learning how to move those thoughts and feelings out of my body when it needs to happen. But when it comes to intimacy specifically, I did not realize how connected I could actually feel to my body during a heightened moment of pleasure and sensuality. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I, I learned how to be with myself in that way. But I also learned how to feel more connected with my partner during intimacy as well. And as a mom specifically, we have so much shit to just sort through when it comes to getting back into the bedroom again. Mm -hmm. And especially if you struggled with insecurity before you became a mom, I mean, that just gets toppled on top of 
I, I don't think there's even a significant, there's, there's no specific number that you can place. Like it's not double, it's not triple, it's not quadruple. It's just like a whole world of dumping on top of you to heighten whatever experience it was that you were having in your body beforehand. And it very much is about just pleasing the other person at that point. Yeah. Like this is what's expected of me. There, um, so I am a huge Halsey fan. She came out with a new album lately and I've been listening to it on repeat because it's the, it, it's a perfect representation of motherhood and being a sexual human, knowing they can coexist. And I think she does a beautiful job of describing that in her art and music, but there's a specific line in one of the songs that is talking about like the woman's role in a relationship and how we're kind of expected to just say goodnight, give some head, wake up in the morning and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. And that very much is my experience. And I know that that's been the experience of other women in my life as well. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where I think that when we are healing our relationship to our bodies, we have to recognize that we don't live for other people. Yeah. We actually live for ourselves And part of that is honoring our pleasure. Yes. Part of that is honoring every little piece of ourselves. And that means that we have to, we actually have a due diligence to ourselves to reclaim our sexuality, become embodied in that moment, really connect deep with the pleasure and, and our bodies and, and our breath through all of that and, and noticing all of the different sensations that come up. And that's also where a power is held. That's where an intuition is held. That's where wisdom is held. That's where creativity lives. Mm-hmm. We can access so much just through that one experience. But when you become a mother, the world is going to tell you that that's wrong and you're not supposed to do that anymore. And then so it becomes one of those things where you do it out of expectation for your partner if you have a partner, but you're completely disconnected from yourself. And so we have to go through that process of self-discovery yes. to get there again. I'm so excited that this conversation led us to this, this idea of reclaiming sexuality, especially as mm-hmm. a mom, because I see so many, and I mean, I experienced my own mother do this too, just completely disconnect. And you're right. Like that, that sensuality, that sexuality piece, it, it can be like, like how you experience movement. Like it puts you in the present. It, it You're experiencing your body, right? Like you get really mm-hmm. in tune with how your body feels in certain situations and it can be really really awesome and really empowering to have Mm -hmm. that. And I think oftentimes it's, it's that those, those expectations, those mindsets that are like stopping us from really having that true connection and that, that grounding within ourselves. We're like complete, we can, it seems like mothers are just like encouraged to completely throw that out the window. Once they become mom, it's like, nope, like you, you are, this is, this is where where your identity lies now and nothing else can come in between that yet. You're still, you know, required to do all these other things, but it's like, okay, how can we actually allow moms to reclaim what is important to them and know that they're still being a good mom and putting themselves first. Right. I think Mm -hmm. I worked with a client who was a mom and I know that it was hard for her to like put that time away for herself because she felt like she needed to always be there. And Mm -hmm. 
I just think like, I, and I keep having these conversations more recently too about, and I don't have any kids myself, but I've always wanted to be a mom since I was like four. And so that's definitely in my future. But recently I've had more conversations about how like raising kids is like, it takes a village. Like you, you do not oh, yeah. like do it yourself, you know? And so I think so many people carry that expectation. They have to do it all on their own. And it's like, no, like mm-hmm. you, you need to take care of you. And yes, like to provide comfort and nourishment to your kids, but like, you also need like so much support in that and you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do your own self-exploration on your own. That's like why Kat mm-hmm. and I are here, you know, like we're, we're here to help those women find that, find their way back to themselves. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really, really important to remember that you didn't create that child alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially if it's a planned pregnancy, you did not do that alone. There, there is space for the other parents involved to take over and give you that space. And we have to ask for that space because people are not mind readers. We are not mind readers. We can't, we cannot predict what other people need unless it's our child, because we have like a supernatural connection there. (laughs) You just kind of, for the most part, know but like your partner is not going to be able to just know that you need space. Mm-hmm. Your partner is not going to have any idea what you need. You have to be asking for what you need, mm-hmm. which I think as women, especially that's really hard because we're taught to prioritize other people above ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we, we have to just be comfortable, complacent, silent, never ask for anything. Otherwise we're a burden. And that is just not a narrative that I'm willing to uphold anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's not a narrative that I would ever want my clients to uphold, right? Let alone anybody else in my life, which I've, I've made very, very clear. I've made that very clear in my life, both personally and professionally, that I do not uphold these standards and expectations for myself anymore, Mm-hmm. And I would hope that because I am voicing this, that other people can do the same. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Totally. My, you know, my grandmother and my mother being two of those people that get very uncomfortable with the idea that you're allowed to ask for things. Mm-hmm. And it's almost deemed unacceptable or they, they will justify why they can't do that. So it's, I think we're not just setting boundaries with other people. We're setting boundaries with ourselves and really understanding what is acceptable for us and what is not acceptable for us, because that's not something the outside world can determine for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there's, there's a rule of like, please lead by kindness. Mm -hmm. Please don't murder people. (laughs) Please don't intentionally harm others. I think those are some pretty basic things that, that should be standard for everyone. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to your own boundaries and what you're going to welcome into your life and how you're going to share yourself with others, only you get to define that. And that's not something we are ever taught. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason I'm passionate about this as, as a mother specifically is because I want my child to be able to have those tools. Mm-hmm. I want to completely change that legacy so that we can hopefully have healthier generations after us. Absolutely. That is a priority. Yeah. And with that comes the body image stuff, right? Like it all intermingles together. 
It does. Yeah. It all works together to create our experience. And I love that you brought in the boundaries conversation too. asking for what I need was something that was very foreign to me as well. Like I just experienced it as I knew something that I needed, but instead of like being, I I almost physically felt like I couldn't voice it. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like it just, it felt too hard to do that. So instead I would just like get frustrated, like internally frustrated. And I think it was kind of that expectation of like thinking people just should like know how to take care of me. And I think Mm -hmm. I learned that from my mom uh, for sure. So I think part of, at least for me, what that process was, is getting in tune with what it is that I actually need and learning how to provide that for myself, but then also learning to speak up when I do need things. Right. And not Mm -hmm. always be this like good girl, good girl archetype, like stay quiet, you know, cause I actually have a friend who activates this in me a lot because she's very loud and she requests things when she wants them. And she has no problem doing that. And it like really triggers me. And I'm glad mm-hmm. because it, it's like, Oh wow. I'm very uncomfortable asking for what I need. I just, I sit here. I don't cause problems. I'm mm-hmm. quiet, you know, like let's just lead it out. And she's very like, no, I need to have this right now. And this is like, she doesn't apologize for it. She just, Mm -hmm. this is what I need. And I admire that because that's something that's really a struggle for me. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you bring that up because I was always the quiet one. I was always in, in, you know, that totally makes sense because of my upbringing and everything that I kind of took on as a child. And I think too, like before I even dive too deep into this, if you have any level of trauma, asking for what you need is going to be harder. Connecting with your body is going to be harder. It's going to have to look different for you than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And there is no cookie cutter way. Like trauma really changes the way we're able to function as people and, and in these bodies that we have. And so this, this has to be defined on your own terms. This you know, what works for me probably doesn't work for you, Katie. And, and what works for you isn't going to work for your best friend. Right. It, it all has to be defined on our own terms, especially when pain through trauma is involved, which I also have experience in, but it's, it's one of those things where I was always the quiet one. <laughs> I was always the one so scared to speak. I was always the one scared to even raise my hand. If I knew the right answer in class, I did that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all these, all these extroverted loud people would just like almost adopt me in. And I'm not sure if it was a balancing act or what that magnetism is. Yeah. But I was, I was always adopted by the extroverts. And then all of a sudden through this healing, I became the louder one. Mm-hmm. the outspoken one, the one who is unafraid to say what's on her mind or ask for what she needs. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind my closest friends to do the same. Funnily enough, including my partner, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't always recognize that it's okay to ask for what you need. And that, you know, he's doing his own work too, which I am so grateful to be able to have a partner who's willing to do this work alongside me and also separately. Because yeah. I think that's when you're able to grow with somebody, that's what builds that really deep, meaningful connection that you know is lifelong. Mm. I'm so grateful to be able to have that. And I was going to go somewhere else with this too, but my mind kind of went this way. And then my other thought <laughs> went that way. Happens to me on the daily, my friend. But oh my gosh. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> 
I think what I'm trying to say is like, we we're going to be triggered and, and we're not always going to remain the same and we're not going to remain stagnant. It's actually really important that we don't stay that way. Mm-hmm. We have to learn to use our voices mm-hmm. because when you don't, you feel it. My experience has been, I feel just internally sick like there's there's a permanent lump in my throat when I don't speak my my thoughts my opinions that need to be spoken or when I have a message to share and I'm not sharing it my my stomach will be in knots and I'm just a constant ball of anxiety and it just doesn't end and that's not a way that I want to feel on the daily mm-hmm. so it becomes again back to how do you want to feel in your body because the way you show up in the world impacts the way you feel in your body mm-hmm. and the messaging that you're choosing to hold is true from the external world is also influencing the way you feel in your body mm-hmm. and it all becomes i i think it all comes back to embodiment and just that internal connection and if you're disconnected from your body well then how are you supposed to be present and truly enjoy the, the life that you're given yeah Yeah, absolutely. We've touched on so many amazing things and I kind of want to round out this episode here today by, you know, we, we talked about like where you came from and all the expectations that were placed on you, uh, the struggles that you had to work through to overcome. And now you're in, in this place where you're at now. And what, what do you feel like were some of the biggest things that you had to really like maybe let go of in order to come back to this place where you're able to reclaim that your sexuality as a mom, where you're able to be embodied, where you're able to like finally be in this place where you're able to speak up for yourself. Hmm. Well, it really is a continual process of letting go so I can let in. There's a lot of things that I let go and it always has to do with expectations. Mm -hmm. I have to let go of expectations so that I can welcome in whatever is meant to be true for me at that time and whatever new thing wants to develop. Um, I totally believe that spirit or universe, God, whatever you do believe in has your back no matter what. Mm -hmm. And as much as you are an author of your own story, you're also a co-creator. So whatever is meant for your highest good is what's going to happen. And that's something that I've really had to surrender into. And a lot of people would say maybe like, you know, you got to let go of your old beliefs. You got to do this. But I don't think it's as much of a letting go process in terms of beliefs and stories that you tell yourself. It's a redefining. Mm. And so I have had to redefine what health means. I've had to redefine what desirability means. Mm -hmm. Because did I let go of desirability? No, I completely remodeled it to fit what it needs to be for me. Mm -hmm. And that became about what kind of a person do I want to be? Because I don't just, I don't look at somebody and say, oh, wow, you're so desirable because you're so perfect. You look so beautiful. (laughs) It's, It's, I desire people to be in my life because of the characteristics they hold and, and the, the, you know, the thoughts that they have and the conversations they're willing to engage in and that kind of thing. I want people in my life that are intellectual and creative and free-spirited and outspoken and, you know, all of these things that can really walk me into the gray areas of life and explore that. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what I consider to be desirable. 
So when we redefine all these things that originally kept us stuck, I think that's where the true power is. Are you letting go of old behaviors and patterns? Yes. But at the same time, you're redefining them. You're not actually fully letting them go. You're just changing the meaning they hold. Yes. Yeah. That meaning piece of it and redefining. I love how you Mm -hmm. really had pinpointed that. Like, it's not so much about the letting go. Sometimes it's just redefining it for yourself. Right. And and Mm -hmm. not based on the expectations of those around us in the world, which is so often what we're basing those, those terms on. And, and with that, I believe you do have a, a guide that you are so willingly going to give to my, my audience. So tell us a little bit more about that. And then also where we can, where my audience can learn more about you and your work. Yes. Rewrite your body's story journaling guide. It became a long title. It's kind of like a workbook. It's kind of a journaling guide. It's somewhere in between, but it, the, the purpose there is to completely recognize where you came from. Because I don't think we can actually heal without recognizing the stories that we have held on to and have created over time. And then it kind of meets you where you're at. And so you walk through your own history with your body, move into and recognize where you are at now versus where you would like to be. And it's really about building that awareness piece. That way you can decide what do you actually need to let go of in order to step into X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. right? And so it's the letting go of, like I said earlier, expectations. I think that's the big piece. Mm -hmm. And recognizing what you would like your relationship to look like so that you can practice that radical forgiveness, not just for yourself and the way you treated your body, but also for your body. Because if you struggle with chronic pain or if you've been given a chronic illness diagnosis, if, if you have an injury that's caused permanent damage, all of these things are reasons to hate your body. They're also reasons to forgive your body mm-hmm. so that you can practice that respect and kindness and then enter into the compassion and unconditional love. It's a, it is a process. There's stepping stones. And this guide is specifically here to help support you into beginning that. Yeah. That sounds so, so important. I can't wait for you guys to check this out. I, I definitely love any kind of journaling prompt. So (laughs) (laughs) anything that takes me to kind of give that opportunity to redefine and go deeper is amazing. So where else can my audience find more about you? I know you have a podcast, you've got a lot of awesome things going on. So tell us about that. So you can check out my podcast, return of the intuitive woman, woman with an X because we're inclusive in my space. That's, that was actually really, really important to me was that um, we, because it's all about exploring the gray areas of life and all things, body image, health, spirituality, like anything and everything. It's a space where I can bring my fullest self and ask in others. And that means inclusivity to me. So that's where you can check me out right now. <laughs> you can also email me. I have a very complicated relationship with social media right now. And I don't actually know what that's going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to stay, if I'm going to go. It's kind of just sitting at the moment. But if you really want to look at my Instagram, you can find me at Cat Fox Coaching. I just can't guarantee that I'll hang out there very often. <laughs> Fair enough. Totally understand. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, 
definitely go check out her podcast. It's, there's some really great stuff on there that I've been listening to that has been super insightful and, and awesome as this conversation was today. So thank you so much for bringing your wisdom here to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me into this space. I love holding meaningful connection with other people, which by the way, is why I'm not currently on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. It's just not meaningful connection to me. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed holding space with you and exploring all of these different areas. And thank you for being along the ride of my chaotic brain. Oh, my brain works exactly the same. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in to this week's episode of the Mind and Body Strong podcast. If you loved this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could leave a five-star rating and review or share a screenshot of the episode on your social media platforms. This helps even more women be able to find the podcast and move towards their own personal transformation. Or come on over to Instagram and send me a DM. Let me know what you thought of the episode or let me know about future topics you'd love to hear here on the podcast. Sending love to you no matter where you're at in the world, my friends. Until next week, take care.